At Rockland Trust, each relationship matters, and we know that your relationship with money may be complicated and may need some extra love and attention. But where do you start? I'm Julie Beckham, the Financial Education Officer at Rockland Trust, and this is the No Shame in This Money Game podcast. What you should have done and could have done, didn't know and should have known, doesn't matter anymore. There's no use spending one more minute blaming or shaming yourself. Because really, with everything going on in the world right now, you don't have time to get down on yourself. And you don't deserve it. We're all in this together, starting now. And like I said, there's no shame in this money game. Welcome, everyone, to the No Shame in This Money Game podcast. This is our last podcast of 2020. And as we head into the new year, I wanted to thank you for listening, learning, subscribing, and commenting. This podcast is just one of Rockland Trust's financial education initiatives. As you know, Rockland Trust is the bank where each relationship matters, and we are committed to helping you have a healthy relationship with money at any age. That's why we provide engaging financial education programming to support you in the ways you need throughout the many stages of your life. Through this podcast, our This Is Your Life Consumer Protection for Seniors workshop, and our reimagined virtual musical for elementary school children, Miss Money and the Coins Unmuted, we have been able to reach thousands of students, seniors, and listeners this year. 2020 has caused many of us to reflect on our values and our priorities. If you're listening to this, I think I can assume you believe that financial education is important, but how do we prioritize financial education in our schools? The answer may surprise you. Today I'm talking to Scott Guild, and in this podcast you will learn fun and engaging ways you can participate in your child's financial education, and maybe learn a thing or two on your own when you're at it. Scott is the former president of the Massachusetts Council on Economic Education. Before that role, Scott held the position of Director of Economic Education at the Federal Reserve Bank of Boston for 13 years. And before that, he was a teacher and administrator for more than 20 years at a suburban high school west of Boston. Welcome, Scott. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate having the opportunity to speak with you. Now, regarding financial education, you serve on many boards and advocacy groups. Where are we in Massachusetts as far as financial education requirements in schools? Well, I think it's best to say we've had a modicum of success. And what I mean by that is through some communication, coordination, and nudging of the Massachusetts Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, we were able to get personal finance content standards integrated into the new, or 2018, history and social science curriculum frameworks. So that was step one. Uh, In January of 2019, Governor Baker signed into law the K-12 financial literacy bill that talked about adopting standards not only in high school, but across all K-12 And in support of that, he also signed a budget that allocated $250,000 to be used by the Department of Elementary and Secondary Education to create the financial literacy planning and implementation grants. In that sense, there has been a modicum of success. 
What this all means is that Massachusetts, after years of advocacy from people like Scott, has signed a bill into law incorporating financial education into the K-12 curriculum and has allotted funds for the cause. This is a step in the right direction, but falls short of a required semester-long course in personal finance before high school graduation that has become the gold standard for financial education advocates nationally. If you're keeping score, only six states meet this very high standard, and 16 additional states are very close. Massachusetts does not fall into either one of these categories. But the good news is, on the other side, there's a very strong infrastructure within Massachusetts to slowly build the momentum necessary to get to a point where we can provide all students across the Commonwealth K-12 with financial literacy because we have good relationships at the Mass Association of School Superintendents, the Mass Association Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, and the Treasurer's Office. So it's like, I guess, turning a aircraft carrier. It's slow, but we're seeing glimmers of light as we proceed. Looking at this year, there has been such a spotlight on the need for financial education when it comes to needing an emergency fund, not knowing if you will have a job tomorrow just due to the year 2020 and everything that's going on. So as parents look to fill this education gap that might be happening in their school, like you said, how do we fill these education gaps? How can parents and guardians or even teachers looking to add like a little spice of financial education, that real world life skill education into their classroom? How can someone access that? Yeah, I'm I'm glad you brought that up because what's happened with COVID-19 it's broken down a lot of a lot of the distinctions because teachers were in schools and kids were at home and so there was some homeschooling that was done in the past but now it's almost the expectation that parents have to work as surrogate educators at home we have pods being created where people come together to learn many of the silos or uh, definitions of roles of folks have been grayed out because of COVID-19. So a number of financial literacy organizations anticipated that and started looking at how to pivot to providing their material virtually. In our latest monthly report, I've learned from JA Western Mass that Junior Achievement has moved all of its uh, high school and middle school material so it's virtual, and now they're moving on to the elementary school level. So Junior Achievement has made that pivot where material that was typically just available for teachers is now also available for parents or guardians or for others to use at home. Massachusetts is very fortunate to have many local and national nonprofit organizations partner with schools to provide valuable lessons in financial education. Junior Achievement, whose purpose is to inspire and prepare young people to succeed in a global economy, is one of them. NextGen Personal Finance, which is a new emerging national organization, has provided material now so that you can use it at home. Specifically, they have an arcade section. And I've always been one that felt that education should be fun and entertaining as well as informative. And NextGen Personal Finance has something like nine different arcade games. 
NextGen Personal Finance is the nonprofit that created the Gold Standard Challenge I just mentioned and has created the Mission 2020 Playbook to have all students in the U.S. graduate from high school having taken a course in personal finance. In addition to that, their website, ngpf.org, is full of resources and great arcade games on personal finance. NextGen Personal Finance is dedicated toward teachers and schools, but you can set up a free account and you can play these games with your kids and maybe learn some things as well. And there's one called Spent that's been around for a while, and I think they've incorporated it from the originators. And that's basically to see how well you can make it through a month living paycheck to paycheck. So these are great experiential learning materials that you can play with your kids. And in many cases, they address the significant issues of budgeting, credit, risk management. Clearly, there are there are multiple different ways of addressing how to engage young people to think about those critical aspects around and budgeting, credit, banking, savings, investing, and risk management. And it need not be dry and it need not be boring. And it can be done through a game. It can be done through dance or other frenetic ways of doing things. And then Council for Economic Education has a number of simulations. CouncilforEconEd.org has free webinars for teachers looking for professional development and a host of other resources teachers and families can use to bolster their financial literacy. One I like the most, because I'm such a policy junkie, is one called the fiscal shift, where you're trying to balance your own combination of policies and priorities and values with keeping a balanced budget. I provide that for also my students in my college course at Bridgewater State, and they love that experience because there's trying to address sort of environmental issues or being respectful for the needs of folks with Medicare and Social Security, but at the same time trying to balance the budget while doing that, very interesting, challenging experience. So there are a number of products that are out there, but one more, then you go back to the classic. Visa's financial football that's been around for the longest time. If you've got a teen or preteen who is managing several different fantasy football leagues, they might be able to handle financialfootball.com, where you earn yards for questions answered correctly and fumble with your losses. Visa takes this popular concept and infuses some great information that teens learn quickly in order to get a touchdown and win the game. And I remember colleagues of mine across states, because when I was at the Fed, actually competing with each other in financial football. It's basically asking practical financial questions. And each time you answer it correctly, and there were different levels, you know, a pass for five yards, a pass for 20 yards, of course, 20 would be harder, a run for five, a run for 20, and you would advance and you score like in a football game. So there are, there are, in a sense, a multitude of these resources, uh, some of which have been around for a long time, like the two I mentioned, to new ones that have just been created specifically for the purpose of providing families with tools to enhance the classroom experience, but more significantly, to enhance students' engagement with financial literacy. What I'm hearing is that there are many, many resources, and kind of like the title of this podcast, No Shame in This Money Game, I mean, 
parents are a little bit hesitant to teach maybe their children about this because they're not that great at it. And it's really unnerving to sit down with your your teenager, your tween, your preteen and do a game like this or start a lesson or start a conversation where you're not 100% confident. So I think that that's a challenge, but to have it in these kind of games and resources might kind of break down that challenge and make it a fun experience for everybody. Yeah, and in some cases, the games or publications that I talked about actually have teacher guides that go with it. And the one place I forgot to mention, which I should, is the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. They have a great segment of materials from K to 12 and also have some good hints specifically for parents and caregivers about how to approach addressing these issues using some of the resources that they make available. You can find Consumer Financial Protection Bureau at consumerfinance.gov. And because this is a government organization that, among other things, empowers consumers to make better informed financial decisions, you will find a lot of information on this website. And they have a whole segment of resources as well. And they address the issue of raising the comfort level of the parents themselves so that they can feel informed and comfortable and competent in teaching the material. And the purpose is that's good because the best way to teach is to learn and the best way to learn is to teach. So if you have parents teaching, they'll have to learn first before they teach. (laughs) Exactly. Well, if you've ever sat down with a third grader and tried to do the math homework the way they're taught, you know that it is sometimes intimidating to be the teacher in your home. But if something as important as money management and all that goes along with that, it's It should be fun. It should be accessible. And it seems as though with all of these resources, it is. So thank you so much. I know you've been advocating for this for so long. Is there anything else that you just would like to get out there as far as K through 12 financial education? So if you're an advocate and you don't mind going to school committee meetings and speaking up, I would say do so because Right now, two of the most critical forms of education that a student should have in a democracy and in a capitalist nation are civics and financial education. These are basic building blocks to be a good citizen, both of which are needed. And they were in parallel universes right now because both have been left to the wayside. People realize that For a good public education, you need both of these. And I would argue that the only way that financial literacy is going to be in the schools is if parents speak up and students speak up. We were successful in our 2018, not only because of our participation in this, but we had students who also spoke out about this and went to the Board of Higher Education and spoke out about the importance of this. And I think it was a critical element in why we were successful this time through, as opposed to the two and three times before trying to get the legislation passed. So I would say, if you believe this is important, find out what's happening in your school, first of all. Maybe there is something already going on there, and if there is, help build on it. Second piece is know what's happening in your own community. And find out who the sort of lead teachers are if you're interested in this. And also if there's a change in the power structure. 
I'll tell you a little story. In Swampscott, there was a teacher, Sue Compataro, who had been pushing for financial literacy for 12, 14 years and was known for being an advocate. And then the principalship changed and she engaged that new principal who then had his active listening going on. And now Swampscott is one of the maybe seven or eight communities that has decided on their own that they're going to have a high school requirement for financial literacy. So it it can happen, all this advocacy, everything that you and your colleagues have been doing for years to get this to the state house, to be where we are, which is with forward momentum in Massachusetts, really trying to instill that this is one of the the key factors in K through 12 education and something that that our kids should know about. And so thank you for all your advocacy work and thank you for inspiring our listeners because it's true. We live Massachusetts is unique in that we are a state with little communities and and town meetings and boards and school committees and we can be the voice for financial education in our own communities for our own children in our own schools. And look at the change that one teacher made in in a town. So that's a great story. Thank you so much, Scott. Well, you're welcome for that. And I appreciate having the opportunity to uh, spread a little information about Massachusetts and the organizations that I work with. And the fact that there are people here and elsewhere willing to listen and willing to work together to reach that goal. And I think it's one of the few things that I've, since 2000, I've been able to continually dedicate my time and energy to and feel that I get a reasonable return on investment, partially because of our success, but mostly because of the relationships built and the uh, the kind of, um, I guess, community that we've created here in the Commonwealth, uh, which I do believe over time will be successful. It's just a matter of time. Yep. Here we go with patience again, right? Advocacy and patience. They're hard to, to mix together, but they're most successful when, when they do, right? That's right. So you know that the No Shame in This Money Game podcast has a bit of a gaming aspect because it's fun. So I'm going to spin my spinning wheel here and get a random question for you. Okay, so hold on one sec. Okay, name a gift someone has given you that may not have cash value but has the most value to you. Hmm. So, when I was transitioning from education to management consulting, I clearly knew a lot about education and the organization I was with was required to communicate the 1993 Ed Reform. I knew a lot about education and technology and how it could enable education at the time. And what he said to me was very interesting. He said, remember, whatever you do, provide value and you will be appreciated. And so as I was trying to learn all kind of strategy, management, consulting, et cetera, going forward, He gave me that one lesson. I think it's one that's been very helpful in my life going forward, that what you should strive for is to add value to whatever exists before you, and therefore you will have contributed to improvement, and uh, whomever the object of this was, whoever the folks were on the other side, 
would be appreciative because you've added value. So that little piece of information was great. And as sometimes the perfect can be the enemy of improvement. And so just like in Massachusetts, we'd like to have a, a state requirement and have it now. The idea is add value, continue to help people do their job going forward. You don't have to make these huge moves, but just putting daily effort into, like you said, adding value with every project, with every day. And and that's something we need to remember because it's very rare that you look behind you and think, oh, okay, I left a footprint there. <laughs> you know, like I'm doing okay. And that's a great piece of advice. And thank you for the value that you've added to financial education advocacy in Massachusetts over all these years. I do appreciate having the opportunity. So many years and so much to say and so little time to say it. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I know. It's the truth. Well, because Rockland Trust is the bank where each relationship matters, if you could use one word to describe your relationship with money, what would it be and why? Money, in a sense, is a tool that has allowed me to have choices and options. What I mean by that is it's helped to fashion the life I want to live. So money has helped me in many ways move from an inner city kid to a kid who's living out in the burbs for somebody who was raised by his grandparents to somebody now who has a number, well, three kids, two grandchildren, and I have been able to get a great education and to be able to to give back. So money is just a tool. It's an instrument. If used correctly, can provide you with a great lifestyle. And that doesn't mean you have to have a lot of money. You just need to manage it. I was teaching something to my students about financial well-being, and it's getting control of your money before it gets control of you. And I think that's what has happened. And it's not that it's not been error-free, going forward, but I've never gotten myself into so much trouble I couldn't get myself out. And then luckily enough, I learned some information in a timely fashion so that I could could proceed. So I'll give you one example. When I went to work in the Boston Fed, I was there three years, and I was working with a number of, well, two economists specifically, and we were working on creating a lobby exhibit that addressed regional economic growth. And so one of the economists came up to me and says, do you have 401k? And I said, no. And he said, go right down and sign up for it now. It's free money. The match 6% of everything you make. So you need to do nothing but go down and sign up and you'll be getting 6% of your salary matched. The point of that is that I've been lucky enough to have some folks help direct me when I wasn't exactly doing maybe what I was in my best interest. And that's why I spent a lot of time around this particular issue, because I think that if you can get your money organized and managed and know how to use the tools that are out there, understand the pros and cons of those tools, like having a 401k, or when I was a teacher, I sure had a 403b, being knowledgeable and also having active listening 
and then acting on it, I think is a, a really important aspect. So that's why I'm involved with this. I wouldn't say I was the most brilliant person in terms of my own personal finance, but because of it, I think it is really important for others not to get into into crazy holes that they can't get themselves out of. Right. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. So being, like you said, an active listener and being open to learning wherever you are in your life, learning more, finding out more and managing better. That's some great advice. And thank you. Thank you, Scott, for everything that you said today, for all of these resources that our listeners now can go check out and help themselves and their families become more financially educated. Thank you so much, Scott. Well, you're welcome. Appreciate having the opportunity. Thank you for listening to the No Shame in This Money Game podcast brought to you by Rockland Trust, member FDIC. My name is Julie Beckham, and yes, I do take requests. So be sure to email your personal finance questions and curiosities to me, your host and your educator at julie.beckham at rocklandtrust.com.